0: Morning, everybody. I'm Paul Gilroy, Director of the Sarah Parker-Riemann Centre for the Study of Racism and Racialisation at UCL in London. I'm especially delighted today to welcome as a guest Antonella Bundo from Florence in Italy, where she serves as a municipal councillor as part of a left coalition, which she'll talk more about later on. I became aware of Antonella's activities a couple of years ago when her work as an anti-racist and anti-fascist in Florence led to her standing as a candidate in the mayoral election. And you were the first black woman to attempt to hold that office. And I'm very, very delighted to have a chance to talk to you today about the Black Lives Matter movement and moment in the Italian context, about the politics of Florence and your own position there. And of course, the effects of COVID in that area, which I'm sure will have revealed patterns of inequality that are part of the life of the place. So Antonella, welcome. Maybe we could just begin with your work as a political representative, as a municipal councillor for a left coalition.
1: Thank you very much for asking me to talk to you today, So actually, it was only about a year and a half ago where I was the first, as you were saying, the first not only black woman, but black person to stand for mayor for the city of Florence, for a big town like Florence, because Florence is among the biggest cities in Italy. And there were nine of us running for mayor, and I was the only woman, and I was the only black woman. And as I was saying, here in Florence, just as in the rest of the country in Italy, you have like 11% of people with, let's say, foreign origin. And I'm the only one inside the municipality who is not, let's say, the classic Italian, as you would imagine. So it's only one on 37, which is a lower percentage compared to the people who actually are in Italy and are in Florence as well. It's quite a tough job to represent, not only obviously because running for mayor, you have to represent the whole community. So we're not talking about just representing obviously black people. But you come from a starting point here in Italy, in Florence, where in other countries, in other places, you have the basic rights, which everyone knows are basic rights you have to fight for. But here in Florence, in Italy, especially the past two, three years, it's really difficult to be able to say, listen, this can't be the starting point. We have to acknowledge the fact that you have citizens who are, even though they have the Italian citizenship, are considered to be inferior compared to other Italians. So we really have a long way to go here in Florence compared to people living in England, even though obviously each country has it. We've seen the Black Lives Matter Even here in Florence, a few months ago, when we started demonstrating for what had happened, especially with George Floyd in the States, it was almost as if we were demonstrating in solidarity with people in the United States, instead of actually seeing that we have a huge problem here in Florence, Italy. So the Italians, as I was saying earlier, they tend to start off saying in Italian, it's called Italiani brava gente. Italians, good people. We're good people. So we start off from that point of view. And then the rest, we forget about what we're doing here, about what's going on here. So I think that's the biggest problem that differentiates us from other nations.
0: That's very interesting. I mean, one of the things that struck me as particularly important about what you've been doing is that, as I understand it at a distance, it's a political project, a political initiative, where an anti-racist position is very much connected to an anti-fascist position. You see the unevenness, but you see the fundamental connection of these things.
1: Exactly. And uh, politically, I was representing a left wing coalition with about 3,900 towns, cities going to vote in 2019. And it was only in two of the cities, Florence and Bari, if I'm not mistaken, where you had all the left wing come together with a single representative. But the main problem here in Italy, in Florence at least, is that even left-wing parties tend to believe that social rights can't be done together with civil rights. I believe that they have to be done together. So that's a huge mistake we do here in Italy. And for example, just a couple of weeks ago, we passed an Equal Rights Commission where I'm the vice president here in Florence. We passed an act saying there should be a street here in Florence named after Alessandro Sinigalia. Alessandro Sinigalia was killed by the fascists in February of 1944. He was an Afro-descendant here in Italy, and he was the first one to create the GAP and most people here in Italy know that on the 11th of August of 1944 when Florence was finally freed from fascism so when they entered into Florence it was called the Brigata Senegalia. It was named after this person and no one knows he was black. Obviously, the people from the 1940s knew he was a black person. We have people here who don't actually know the importance, or anyway, the presence of black people here in Italy who have been present for centuries. Now we have, for example, in one of the most important museums, in, not only in Italy, in the world, let's say, the Uffizi Gallery, there's this exhibition called Black Presence in the Uffizi Gallery. And it just shows the presence on the portraits, sculpture, even though they just represented, or even artists who are Black artists who actually performed the artwork. And when the exhibition was inaugurated, you had the right-wing who went to protest, saying that we were trying to, I had no actual part in it, but that we were trying to portray something wrong within the museum. We were trying to bring Black presence into the museum, whilst it's always been present. So that's the main problem we have here in Italy, talking about fascism we have not come to terms with what we did we as in italians i'm talking about me as an italian person the difference between the germans and the italians is that the germans after the end of the second world war they did come to terms with what they had done and they're still working on it the italians we had an amnesty which was done by the togliati communists obviously and obviously i agree with everything he did as in communism left wing and everything But we try to, let's say, to forgive what had gone on, as in putting everything under the carpet, instead of trying to talk about it, resolve it, just the same as in the colonialism. And that's why when we talk about Black Lives Matter, we tend to forget that Italy as well has a past and a present. We hope not a future, but I mean, we're not doing anything at all politically to try and solve this problem. For example, we had just a year ago the Salvini, which is I prefer not to pronounce his name normally, but I mean he is the leader of this extreme right-wing party, which is La Lega, the league it's called, and they've done everything possible, as in legally, to institutionalize racism. So they've created, for example, you have NGOs in Italian, it's ONG, NGOs in the Mediterranean trying to save migrants. He made these laws where he even suggested that the people saving people's lives should pay 5,000 euros for each migrant who was being saved. And then you had hundreds of thousands of euros for ships being fined for saving migrants. And also one of the bad things was creating citizens who, let's say, if you were born Italian, fine. If you become an Italian after, the citizenship can be taken away from you for some particularly hideous crimes where the legislation, the law says you must be punished in a certain way. So why should you punish people who are Italians, let's say, after you and everything And here in Italy, we totally accept it. We've been moving, you know, step by step. We're moving where earlier, let's say in 2013, where you had over 100 people who drowned trying to come over to the Mediterranean. And you had months with people talking about the disaster that had happened. And now you hear about a ship wrecking with 40, maybe 20 kids inside, 10 women, men or anything. And after five minutes, no one talks about it and even people like us who were supposed to be fighting for civil rights are kind of becoming used to it, no? So I think that's the worst part of it, when you're used to hearing this and then it doesn't even sound so strange that you have people suffering, people dying, people with rights which are not the same as others living on the same territory.
0: I think that's really clear, and I think the normalisation It becomes an everyday phenomenon which doesn't seem eventful. It doesn't seem important. It doesn't seem disturbing because we are habituated to it, you know? Exactly. You've put together so much that I want to pull a few threads. You know, you talk about the black presence in Italy going back such a long way, and that is, of course, absolutely true and absolutely fundamental. But we also know that part of what racism does today, and this has been true in our country and, of course, in the Brexit environment, it is worse now than it's been in my lifetime, is that although people know that you're part of the history of the place, your right to belong there is always challenged. Exactly. Um, You know, you are not a migrant. You are born in Florence like I was born in London. So I feel that one of the things that defines my own political work and my writing is a sense of feeling quite strongly that although I'm a citizen of the world, I also want to be recognised as somebody who belongs to this polity. And that the work of anti-racism is about forcing that recognition against interests that would exclude and say, as they said to, not just to me, but to all of us, go back to your own country, you're in the wrong place. So how do you see that work of forcing recognition as somebody who belongs not just to Italy, but to Florence, to Tuscany, to a very particular environment, which is a historic place, which has a very strong sense of itself as a region and a history that you've just described, its own history of anti-fascist activity, exactly, is very precious in the self-understanding of people who see themselves as belonging there. How do you see that struggle to force recognition?
1: It's quite difficult here. We need a real cultural revolution here. As you were saying, Tuscany was the first state, and now it's a region, but at the beginning, that abolished the death penalty. And Florence has a gold medal for resisting against fascism. So with that, you think that, okay, that's a good starting point. It's recognizing civil rights for others. But the fact that we, as in Black Italians, don't look like Italians. I mean, here in Italy, it's like, they ask me, where are you from? And I'm like, "Uh, I'm Italian. Okay, they say, yes, but where were you born? And I'm like, I was born in Florence. Okay, but where are your parents from? And I'm like, my mom's Italian, my dad's Sierra Leonean. Aha, so you're Sierra Leonean, you know? There's this struggle that Italians, and I think it also has to do with the racial laws you had years back, you know, during the fascism where you had to prove you were white. So white as in race, white, but as in white. And even when you talk to Italians and you say, listen, you have some places in the United States or elsewhere where they are racist against Italians as well. And Italians can actually believe this. So I think it's more the fact that they want to prove their whiteness Which makes it more difficult for Italians to accept people being as Italian as them, even if they're not white. Because as I was saying, I personally don't think I would have, I'd have racist problems as well in the US or in the UK or elsewhere. But I don't think it would actually start from not recognizing the fact that I could be with the same nationality as others, you know? It would be something else. Here, they tend to say, you don't even start from there. You know, you're you not Italian. For example, my brother was a European boxing champion seven times over. And in the Italian newspapers, they would say he was naturalized Italian. But no, you know? And for me as well, let's say, like, they ring the doorbell and there's someone who wants to sell you something. And I open the door and they ask me if the missus is at home. Right, of course. Or with Italian language, the difference you have between the English language, you have lay, which is a Mm -hmm. formal way of appealing to people who you're not actually familiar with. And so if you walk into a bank or if you're at the supermarket or anywhere, you have people saying lay, which is you in a more formal way. And when I get to the counter, even though I'm almost 51 and I get to the counter and they talk to me with the two For example, here in Florence, unfortunately, there was this almost 60-year-old who was 57-year-old Senegalese man who was murdered just five years ago in Florence. And even when we're talking about, let's say, the anti-fascist movement, when we're doing demonstrations to remember EDBN, they refer to him as the boy. No one would refer to an almost 60-year-old Italian, as in white Italian man, as boy. No one would do that. But here in Italy, if black people are boys or girls. We don't refer to them as men, or women or ladies. So I need to be respected just as much as another 50-year-old next to me. And if I point it out, you have even many black people here in Florence saying, I exaggerate, that that's not a problem. I think the struggle must start from the basics, which is quite difficult here in Florence. Yes.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting that the language, the formality of the language allows for this institutionalization of disrespect. And that, again, people are accepting of this. They're inclined to say, oh, you're making too much fuss. This is a disproportionate reaction to the exactly. But I mean, these things can become very debilitating because they happen over and over and over and over and over, and over again. I want to ask you now, if you don't mind, about your political work, because one of the things that I thought was extremely interesting about this, and I'm sure that people here would be interested, is that you work in an environment where making coalitional relationships with other parties and interests that share your objectives is fundamental to your vision and to your practice as an organiser, Someone's doing political work. So tell me about the making of coalitions and how the coalitional sensibility is something that's been important in the. Maybe it's easy in the context of doing anti-fascist work when you have neo-fascist organizations immediately visible and there is practical problems of violence and intimidation to deal with. But I wonder about being in a coalitional relationship with interests who don't always, even on the left see the question of anti-racist work in the way that you would see
1: it? So I think there's a huge difference here in Italy compared to other countries where you have maybe a different kind of black presence or a different kind of interaction. So, okay, with the coalition here, politically, we have the centre-left, which is the majority ruling right now in Florence and also nationwide, which is the Democratic Party. And in the city of Florence, we do have, as I was saying, the Democratic Party, and we are left-wing, we are on the opposition of the ruling party. Our coalition is based on a program which is mainly based on social and also civil rights, but mainly based on social rights. The only party which is not part of the coalition is the Communist Partito Comunista, even though we do have into the coalition the Rifondazione Comunista, Potere al Popolo, which are communist parties, but the one actually named a communist party shares some views on civil rights, the same as the right wing, extreme right wing. So you have people saying like, why talk about giving someone else's rights instead of thinking about how to, I don't know, how to go to school, public transportation, this and that? As I was saying at the beginning, that's the main problem. So the coalition I am part of is based mainly on social rights, but also taking into consideration civil rights. But it's quite difficult to try and explain that even within this coalition that they have to go together. So, it's two of us now into the city council, Dimitri Palagi and I. And obviously, we tend to look at every aspect, but it's more difficult when you sit down and you try to talk to the coalition and say, listen, we have to carry out this theme. For example, here in Florence, we're talking about something that nationwide they try to say that migrants, illegal migrants, even if they're on the territory, so even if they're here in Florence, they're not allowed to register in the anagrafica, you know, like on the registry to say you're on the territory. And what does this mean? It means that the person is not allowed to be able to have a doctor, so they can't be like visited. So then you tell the coalition, listen, if this happens, it means that the whole community will anyway suffer from the fact that you can't trace people, people can't be tended to if they're sick and everything. And then that's when you start to say, okay, everyone must be allowed to register. I'm not saying the coalition is not aware of this, but I mean, when you talk about the discrimination, which is obviously stronger for people who are, however, foreign origin compared to people who live here, And you have a hard time explaining, saying, listen, it's not the same thing. So we're talking about everyone has the right to this. But I mean, if you're not Italian, it's more difficult for you if you don't have the papers, if you don't have the documents. But you still need to be able to access, for example, the children of people who don't have regular documents. Or maybe because you have up to four years, you know, when you ask for asylum until they actually say if you're allowed to or not. It's a long wait. So whilst you're waiting, you're supposed to be able to send your kids to school because here in Italy, the constitution says that every child, no matter what their position obviously is, whether they're citizens or not, they must go to school. Whilst if you're not registered, you're not allowed to unregistered school. So it's a a spirale. It's like a loop you get into where you have to sit down always and experience and say, Listen, it's more difficult. You have so many obstacles if you're not, let's say, part of the system. So as we all know, at least here in Italy, the left wing normally looks at the more fragile, you know, people who are more fragile independently from their origin, if they're Italians, without like the homeless people, whatever. But there's a further obstacle with people who come from outside, who don't have the nationality and everything. So we have to sit down and discuss this. I'm not saying they don't understand, but you have to explain it to them. You have to say this is a right, a constitutional right for everyone, independently from your status, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that pathway to citizenship is a fundamental thing, isn't it, really? Exactly. You know that that's been very difficult because you're not just dealing with the crisis of the Mediterranean and the undocumented people who are coming through, the crisis of anti-fascism. <laughs> And then you've got, on top of that, Black Lives Matter, another layer of crisis and anxiety about violence and vulnerability. And then on top of that, you've got COVID.
1: Exactly. Now we're probably going towards another lockdown. We had one in March, as you may know. It became really bad here in Italy before moving over to other countries. And now it looks as if we're going back to another lockdown. And it's the same thing. For example, we passed an act here in the city of Florence saying that people who were in alloggi popolari, council houses, even if they could not pay for the rent during the emergency, we asked them to vote that they could not be kicked out of the house. Right. It was. Just two days ago, we were contacted by a lady who had been taken away from her home because she had lost a job and obviously she couldn't pay the amount she had to pay for a few months back. And then they came to take her and they handcuffed her and they took her away. And for over 24 hours, we had no idea where she was. So I had to start calling hospitals saying I was the friend of, because legally there was no way. I could ask for access for the accesso Acti. I don't know how you say that in English, but then it would take a long time. But we wanted to know what had happened to her and everything. And so we will be talking about this in the next, on Monday, we will ask the administration why after having voted for an act, because that's what happens here. I don't know if it happens everywhere, but I mean, here in, in Florence, like you vote for something, the majority vote for it and they approve it. And then you don't know why the same things continue to happen. So. We don't have the same benefits as you have in other countries as in the UK, but we do as in housing and also um, it's called the reddito digitalinanza. It's sort of unemployment benefits, which you can't access, even if you're Italian, but you're in a fragile situation where you don't have a house, you don't have a residency, you won't be able to get access to that, meaning that you'd always be without a home. Because, I mean, if you can't even sign up to be able to, see that maybe in the near future, you'll be able to have a home or you'll be able to have some money to survive means that you're in a loop and they keep you in the loop. That's what they tend not to recognize that. I mean, if you make laws that expel people from the community, because even now in Italy, let's say they think that you have more or less a statistic says you have like 600,000 people who are irregular on the territory. But they passed an act during the COVID saying that for three months you could sign up either for caregivers or for people who would work in the agricultural field. Just the time to pick the produce from the field and then you go back into being illegal. So, I mean, that doesn't help the society on the whole. That's what we need to make people understand that. I mean, me personally, if I were here without a document, I'd do anything Obviously, I would break the law and do anything to survive. So, I mean, I think it's normal. So there's no way you can think people will stay here and survive without giving them the opportunity to contribute legally to the community, as it should be.
0: That's very heartfelt. And obviously, I agree with you. And don't have any illusions about what's going on here, because these processes that maybe when you lived here, they were in a better state than they are now. And they've been made very punitive. They've been made very, very punitive, very vicious, very cruel. As you see with the debate at the moment with the footballers speaking out to feed the children who are not going to have a decent meal over the winter holidays to give them a meal from the school kitchen, you know, this is controversial. This is exactly. controversial. I mean, at least the footballers are finding their voice, a political voice, you know, which we're very grateful for.
1: They're spending their voices, yes. Last Monday, an act was passed where we asked for the meals for school children because talking about people who are not residents, even Italians, you know, who are homeless and everything, their kids, when they're at school, they're not able to produce a document saying that their parents cannot pay as much as they need to. So actually the kids here in Florence, the principals and the teachers and those that are in the institutions do give them food so they don't actually go without a meal. But then after the bill arrives and the parents are unable to pay, so most of them tend not to leave the kids at school during lunch for the meal. So anyway, we passed an act here in Florence saying that each and every child is supposed to be able to have a proper meal in school, independently from the documents produced or not from the parents. They approved it. Let's see if the latter will do it.
0: Antonella, thank you so much for taking the time and the trouble to speak to me. I hope at some point in the future we will have a chance to meet and talk more. Yes.
1: Grazie. Bye-bye now. Arrivederci. Thank you for listening. For more information about UCL Sarah Parker Roman Centre, find us at ucl.ac.uk forward slash racism dash racialisation or follow us on Twitter at ucl underscore sprc. This podcast was produced by me, Kaisa Kahu, an executive produced by Professor Paul Gilroy.